Um, I've said before, and, and the Lieutenant Governor and I and, and Secretary Sutters and others have talked about this, um, we are doing a lot of things to try to get people to stay at home. We put out a travel advisory that we hand out at the airport and in other places that says, if you're not from Massachusetts, we expect you to self-quarantine for 14 days if you come here. Um, there is tons of evidence that because Massachusetts is one of the few states in the Northeast that's legalized recreational marijuana, that if we make recreational marijuana available as an essential business, remember, medical marijuana is available as an essential business. If we make recreational marijuana available, we are going to have to deal with the... Mike Crawford, Grant Smith, Young Jerks, talking about cannabis. I don't know, where do you want to start? Because there's been a lot going on. We should give our Zoom room number. Yeah. Yep, so much going on. And one of the first things that I think folks probably have realized is that over the past few weeks, the state of cannabis in Massachusetts has almost been in flux in positive ways for some folks as to uh, the good news about adult use cultivators uh, being able to potentially get seeds in the ground to get into the medical program. Because uh, as folks know, uh, the adult use program was shut down on March 24th by an order of the governor in Massachusetts. And so those adult use operators have been uh, quite worried about the future of their businesses. So that was a positive development. And then on the slightly more negative, although very Can we important- we say that again? What's so positive about that? Well, what's positive is that uh, if they did not allow these adult use operators to get seeds in the ground uh, earmarked for the purposes of medical, none of the cultivators that are currently in the queue right now getting their applications approved, like Beantown, Greentown, River Run, Deep Roots, would be able to actually get seeds in the ground when their final license opens. And that when their bankrupt. final license opens. Yeah, and that could When's that going to be? Them. January 2021? Well, it's interesting because as you know, the Cannabis Control Commission had a meeting this week, a virtual meeting, and they actually approved some final licenses virtually. Did they give a date? Uh, for, for what? For when they would get to open. Um, well, so um, they did not issue any commence operation. So orders. again, they don't, they have, they, it could be 2021. We, we don't know when Governor Baker is going to allow these to open again, right? Well, that was the point of the order, because, uh, and that's exactly right. That's what's so important about the decision by the executive director this week. So to allow... we, let's go through this. So they, because this is what drives me crazy. I hear these ideas and people say they're good, but I don't think they're good. I think they're dumb. I think they're a waste of time. I think they're crumbs. They're throwing us crumbs. Like, seriously, people, so people are supposed to grow for, for the big RMDs and expecting the RMDs are going to buy product from them. Well, if, and I agree with you, it could be a lot better, but if they didn't have that, they wouldn't even be able to put seeds in the oh, ground. Great. So they either get nothing or they get crumbs. Right. We're supposed to be happy. See, this is what I'm not happy. I got gotcha. you. Go ahead. Go ahead. So, okay. We go, we went through that. I'm not happy about that. Even though that's supposed to be good news. That's wow. Awesome. They get some but, crumbs from the RMDs. Go ahead. Sorry. It, and and I guess just to play devil's advocate, it, it's somewhat positive because it could have meant the difference between for some businesses being able to continue and shutting down. Now I get it. It's not enough. A lot more needs to be done, but that was one development. The other development negative, uh, for some, but positive in terms of the work you've done for so long, Mike, is th this issue about uh, employee and patient safety at big corporate RMDs. You started covering it two or three years ago. It's exploding into the mainstream this week. I'm sure a lot of people want to hear your thoughts on it. So, 
I was wondering, man, I was thinking maybe we could talk about the other stuff first, but since we broke it, and I got a dog over here, I, you probably can't hear it. It's going to drive me crazy. He's whining now for food. It's dinner time. I, I went and did the other dogs that I work for today because they're having a baby. And I'm, so I'm, I'm covering different dogs. I'm about to feed my own dogs before this. We we got to do these later next time, I think. But I think I have time and then I don't because now the dog's crying. But he's going to have to wait. He's spoiled. But uh, sure you, you were asking I'm sure about... Very, I'm sure you're very nice to him. Oh, I am. But can you hear him now? He's squeaky. getting loud. He's like... Rrr! He sounds like a cat. Oh, I got to get I, I got to get my girlfriend over here to maybe feed him early. Or I might have to hop off for a second. But um, you were asking about... Oh yeah. Yeah. The, the employees, the employees, the mold, the workers getting furloughed, the safety issues, all of it. Yeah. It's, 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 I mean, I, I, I gotta be careful what I gotta say on this cause there's going to be a lot more to come. You know, we talked about rev clinics. I promised the story. It never came out. Still working on that. I mean, we have a lot of documentation and you can expect the same on Netta. I, I expect that, uh, this year we'll be covering a lot of the problems with these RMDs and the way that they treat their employees very poorly. Um, we know for a fact that there is an organizing, uh, a union that has gone into uh, NETA. The first uh, organized union that went in uh, in the state of Massachusetts, they, they organized CIRA. So CIRA was the first dispensary to get organized by an, uh, a real union in Massachusetts. And so what you have now is that the same thing's happening at NETA with the same union. And uh, just this week, NETA basically laid off everybody, uh, almost everybody, blamed it on uh, the shutdown over recreational cannabis. But it seems like from everything that we're seeing that this was union busting. Uh, I'll also reveal the fact that I know <laughs> NETA is out of control. I mean, they are, just, I'll just give you an example. They call a union busting meeting. Recently, they when they found out there was a union, they called a meeting among employees during a pandemic. Someone infected went to that meeting and infected other employees at NETA. Do you think if you want to go to that that establishment, uh, they also have mold, as you mentioned, which we talked about two years ago, January 2018. Nobody in the media touched it. We we're the only ones to talk about it for the last couple of years. We had Ann Hassel on a couple of weeks ago. We've gotten a lot more information since then from the employees. We know exactly what's going on over there. They have mold. They have aphids. It's an abusive employer. Um, so, yeah, we'll be covering that. And solidarity with all the dispensary workers in Massachusetts who have been abused for a long time now. And now it's coming to light because of this COVID-19 and the huge risk that all retail workers are taken. And this is big in the dispensary business and it's going to continue to be big. And we're going to call for higher pay, hazard pay. We're going to call for NETA to actually honor what they promised their, their, their employees. They offered them uh, profit sharing. They offered them uh, 401k contributions. None of those, those are all gone. So they, so they made promises that they're not delivering on. And they owe their employees a lot more. So we're going to be, I'm all over this for the long haul with the employees. So we'll see how this works out. I think anyone is crazy to trust their health and, and have a good conscience going in there the way that they treat employees until they own up. 
It's owned by a billionaire, part of the Wrigley family. When you hear Wrigley Park, it's named after his family. He didn't make the money. He was born into it. And he's got some strange connections that we may be looking into as well. Well, and Mike, I know that some people are going to know the context and history here, but for those who maybe found the Young Jerks recently, you first started writing about, in particular, uh, moldy cannabis in Massachusetts dispensaries back two, three years ago. And that was uh, a lot of the same issues that we see popping up again right now. Yeah, nothing changed. The, the regulators were asleep. It was, the, I think, the DPH at that point with the Cannabis Control Commission about to take over. Neither of them wanted to deal with the issues. It was a political hot, you know, hot potato. Um, even talked to the Department of Labor, OSHA. You know, they they all knew something was up, but no one wanted to touch it, including the rest of the Boston media. And I I I now think that they all are aware, and shit's going down against Netta. And I would not be surprised right now if the Cannabis Control Commission is actually investigating Netta. Well, and that is uh, something that the Cannabis Control Commissioners, uh, during a special emergency meeting on the 3rd of April, they did not say directly uh, any particular company that they were discussing, but one of the commissioners seemed so concerned with employee safety, uh, Commissioner Shaleen Title, who okay. uh, will be on the program uh, tomorrow, tomorrow at 5 p.m. You yep, should ask she, her about this. See, I'm, I'm sure she won't yeah. say anything because she really can't do it in an open investigation. But that's good to hear. And, yeah, you know, but, um, I, I, I wouldn't expect them to say anything at this point. You know, I mean, just watch any TV show about, you know, criminal justice or court cases. They're not going to say anything when it's just this early. But, yeah, I, I'm not surprised that she's concerned. And and. More than just being concerned, she she really showed her humanity and her what makes her such an impressive community leader. She, on a public uh, meeting, the emergency meeting, gave out her cell phone number to uh, allow for employees at these firms, uh, these R&Ds or otherwise, to call her directly, not because she can necessarily wave a magic wand and fix it, but because a lot of times employees don't realize the plethora of resources that are out there for them. And just directing someone in the right direction sometimes is, is the whole kit and caboodle. Well, I think they got those kind of resources, at least at NETA with the union. Um, but I, I'm, I'm curious, did any of the other cannabis control commissioners seem to show a concern on that issue? Yeah, um, the, there was a commission-wide discussion and Shaleen, uh, Commissioner Title, was the only person to put her cell phone number out there. But every single commissioner, and they did not reference the particular incident that was covered uh, in, the, in the Globe this week, but every single commissioner made very clear in their tone even that they, what they were hearing upset them. Now, whether or not that was show for the public or whether they're going to act on it, I don't know. It's going to be but, interesting because, you, know, you know, I'm feeling that they are going to assign an investigator, have an investigation, but, you know, I know for a fact that the Cannabis Control Commission has, I think it's still outstanding. I think that the Labor Board has squashed all hearings, but they have a labor complaint against them. Hmm. So. The commission themselves? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Wow. About the way they treat their union employees. So you, you wonder how, how uh, 
you know, when a department that has a union complaint is deciding, you know, issues related to unions and labor, that that's when I get, you know, again, so for me, a lot of times it's lack of trust. You know, I look at actions, so their actions will speak very loud. We'll see what happens here with NETA. And I think if it, you know, if the Cannabis Control Commission doesn't do something, it gives the green light to all these other, because everyone knows what's going on. Everybody knows. Everybody knows there's shady shit going on at NETA. Do they get away with it? You know, and this is the number one dispensary in Massachusetts. They're the one dispensary within the 128 belt right there closest to Boston. So they they have a monopoly now in Boston with uh, Pure Oasis now shut down. And that's what we should also mention is that, you know, we mentioned this a couple times, but again, for people that aren't aware, medical marijuana in Massachusetts is medical cannabis is allowed to be open right now. With the, under the COVID-19, there is essential service where recreational is not. So the rec shops like Pure Oasis, which was a smaller recreational shop that just opened economic empowerment competition to the big boys, NETA, they're not closed. So NETA has, again, like a monopoly. And the game in town, basically, right? And it's, it's so frustrating because as a lot of folks will know, in the cannabis industry, because it's illegal on the federal level, a lot of the employment protection uh, regulations that you know unions have spent decades, if not a century at this point building, don't necessarily apply in the cannabis industry. And it leaves these workers very vulnerable in a way that almost demands that regulators in the cannabis Do space something. on the state level go above and beyond. Yeah. And so to, to see it, and I know, uh, Mike, in particular, you've spoken to Ann Hassel and some other whistleblowers who uh, have said publicly that they've been frustrated with the commissions in action. So I can understand the frustration, but I, I would like to say now that all of this is coming to a head, the commission's response to this NETA issue in particular is going to come to define what folks think about their ability. It will. I mean, I'm, I'm holding off like, you know, purposely we are holding off. I'm not doing any big story until we see how the Cannabis Control Commission handles this because they have the real power to do something real quickly on it. We'll see what happens. You know, um, George Freelander is commenting on the watch party and uh, he made to note, um, you know, and he's talking about the Cannabis Control Commission, the CCC in Massachusetts. He says they were supposed to shut down NEA in Fall River due to the bribes and corruption, but it never happened. Uh, they probably got scared off, uh, laugh out loud, LOL. And I'm not sure what happened with that group because I, I think they're, <clears throat> excuse me on that. I mean, maybe there's a little truth to that, but I think that's also another ongoing investigation because I think the Cannabis Control Commission is waiting to see what happens in that federal trial related to the dispensaries talking about in Fall River to get all the information to decide. Am I right on that, Grant? They, they don't have all the de details. They're, they're waiting to get it from the feds, right? Yeah, I believe that um, the Cannabis Control Commission requested documents from uh, the grand jury. And the grand jury is not just related to Fall River. Uh, Mayor Correa was, in, was, cr was criminally charged. He had one bribe, I believe, that he's accused of taking. Uh, he was accused of accepting a, a 10 pounds or something of cannabis in exchange for a letter of non-opposition for a local applicant. But the Cannabis Control Commission requested information from the state of, uh, from the federal grand jury looking into host community agreements. 
And that affects a lot of towns. Uh, we don't know the number of towns involved in that, but the very fact that the Cannabis Control Commission is asking the federal grand jury for information shows that the way the state law was written around these HCAs and the local process did not give the Cannabis Control Commission enough teeth. Now the Cannabis Control Commission, ironically, in the fall of 2018, voted not to give themselves those. Yeah, those I would teeth. say that's self-inflicted, number one. You know, and, and the second thing too is, I feel like there's no money in that. Like there's no money in their budget to investigate people. There's no benefit. Like you know, I, I think Shalene gets it. You know, she wants to see some of these dirty players, you know, abusing employees. To not be able to get away with it, but I think that someone like Steve Hoffman from Bain Capital, I think he gives a shit. I know. I, I, hey, man. I mean, you think someone from Bain Capital cares about union and workers? Like Bain Capital, you know what they did for a living? I mean, they buy companies and they fire people and they sell the assets. They break unions. I mean, that's notoriously what these big management companies are all about. So, I just. You know, I think it's twofold. I think it's the people on that commission, but I also think it's about the budgeting that there's, you know, until you get like a huge budget for, to investigate these, we'll see though. I mean, I could, you know, I really don't know. What do you think? Well, well, I think that the amount of money available to the commission is only going to increase. And I think we've seen that with the social equity program uh, so Massachusetts is very unique uh, in the structure of the uh, way the commission deploys its resources. And for years, they did not actually have a fully fleshed out social equity staff. Just this year, they added some folks to that staff. So um, I'm you think hoping- they're, that, That's like their focus. That's their pet project. So they yeah. just started adding people for their pet project. Do you think their pet project is investigating RMDs? Well, I don't think for corruption and fraud and abusive behaviors to their employees. Well, I think I don't think it was. I think the primary. Focus Do you think was, it ever has been? Well, I, I think it started to become an issue with the stuff like tilt holdings, acreage holdings, and yeah, that's not that's not abusive to employers. That that that's about ownership. That's not, like I'm talking about like abusive thing. Like you, you're talking about like non-disclosure agreements. When there's an investigation, you're making people sign non-disclosure agreements for, for severance pay. I mean, th this is stuff that, do you think that the Cannabis Control Commission has ever cared about this or had a meeting or discussion publicly about any of that, about employees, how they get treated horribly at these companies? I have no personal knowledge of it taking place, but if it, if it hadn't taken place till now, I'd be very, very upset. Yeah, I, I don't think it has taken place at all, anywhere. But I'm on the Cannabis Control Commission until now, until, until they have the COVID-19 in the Boston Globe, making them look awful and, and at the worst possible time. Well, right after Charlie's Baker shuts down recreational, then they have this COVID-19 disaster at NETA that goes in the Boston Globe and is basically going to ruin the entire industry and everything that they wanted to work on, which was equity. Uh, to me, that's self-inflicted. That comes from the Cannabis Control Commission, the DPH, the governor. They've been asleep at the wheel. Like they have to realize they keep talking about public safety all the time, about the, the illicit market. There's a huge danger of public safety with these medical companies. They're, how big they are, how shady they are, how there's no real controls. They talk about the testing, but apparently you can run a truck through it because Net has had mold for how many years 
and they still haven't lost their license or had any big investigation of them. So what's going on? And I, I have heard um, from more than one person that testing standards in Massachusetts do leave a lot to be desired and they facilitate a testing process that does not per se uh, provide guaranteed safe medication. And so I agree with you entirely there, which is that if public safety is the primary rationale behind- I mean, where's Burt McBride? Like seriously, she's so upset about public safety and wants to bring in the cops on everything, but we're, we're showing like real public safety abusive behavior and they don't even bring it up. There's no forum. There's no big NCIA meeting about it. Do you know what I mean? Well, I think that it's one of those issues where because of the entrenched uh, socio-political forces involved, that it's not an issue that's going to be pushed. It's an issue that's going to be forced upon. And yeah, so in when that- When the Globe puts it on the front page when someone dies. I mean, that's that's- so, I mean, we're beating this to death, unless someone wants to call in. I think we should probably well, move on, probably aggravate well, you at this point, Grant. Go ahead. No, it's it's a good reminder because some folks, I did, um, we copied and pasted the Zoom ID, but just for folks who are listening, maybe not reading in that particular stream comment section, if you'd like to call in, uh, we set it up so that you can uh, open your Zoom uh, client for those of you who have installed it on your phone or your computer. All you have to do is join meeting and type uh, 657-577-6264. Again, this is not a phone number. We're still uh, getting that set up to join and talk with us, ask a question via Zoom. You can connect via audio, video, whatever you'd like. It's 657-577-6264. That's the Zoom meeting ID. And you can, you you can like call join. in, and there's a call in number as well, right? And then punch that code in, is that right? Um, yep, that's correct. And, and you I, know, you can always, always go on the Zoom app. It's zoom.us for anyone. You know, if you're a regular listener and you're missing calling in on the show, make sure you just download that Zoom app, zoom.us. Yeah. And also, uh, you know, my name is Mike Crawford. This is Grant Smith. We had a great show yesterday, a good interview with uh, Boston City Councilor Julia Mejia. Uh, you should definitely check that out. It's on our podcast, iTunes, anywhere uh, you can find your podcast. And tomorrow, Grant has a special interview with Cannabis Control Commissioner Shaleen Title and uh, Mass State Rep China Taylor. What time is that? At five o'clock too? Five o'clock tomorrow, okay. Monday the 13th. Uh, it's going to be a uh, uh, amazing discussion. Um, I'm Rep China Taylor. Tyler, for those who don't know, uh, has been spearheading the project to uh, get Governor Baker to reopen adult use cannabis in the Commonwealth. And uh, Commissioner Shaleen Title from the Cannabis Control Commission, those of you who follow the show will know that uh, we fawn over her quite often. And uh, tomorrow I'm going to get a chance to interview her for the first time. And she's a personal hero of mine in the cannabis activism space. So it's really a great opportunity. I'm very much looking forward to it. And I encourage you all to tune in because I very rarely get intimidated when it comes to interviewing folks because I like to think that I know a decent amount about the industry, but I'm walking into the lion's den tomorrow. You see, we got a call too. Are... I want to make sure we make it that. We got Joanna waiting. You got to see that? Oh, I didn't see it pop up. I'm yeah. sorry, Mike. I'm sorry. I know you're going on a roll about Shaleen, but I just want to make no. sure we got Joanna in. 
Uh, yep, no, nope, I'll make sure that happens. And um, uh, before I click admit on Joanna, because I know she's listening, I will just end by saying that uh, Shalene Title has been a Cannabis Control Commissioner for the past three years. And for those who don't know her, you can find more information about her in the bio link uh, for the post about the episode tomorrow. And now we'll let in Joanna. Might take just a second. Well, she's connecting right now. Can you hear us, Joanna? Yeah, I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yes, you can. You're live on air with us. Hi, everybody. How's Hello. everybody doing today? Good. I'm grumpy. Can you tell? Yeah, just a little. I'm here to put a smile on your face, Mike. You are. You're putting a smile on my face. Thank you. Yeah. So I'm just calling in to say hi and uh, see how you guys are doing in this uh, lovely shut-in type of atmosphere that we have going. And I want to talk about patients and what patients are going through in this because I think that's really important. Um, so in Massachusetts, we do have a high population of financial hardship patients. And I've been noticing that in this time of COVID-19 and in this time of, you know, with things being locked down and shut in, that, that hardships are having the worst problems right now because they can't really afford their medicine anyway. But then on top of it, um, a lot of other patients that would normally be donating in the community are also shut in. Mm -hmm. So it's become a problem where patients are having trouble accessing medication. And I want to know what you guys think about that and what, what you see any kind of um, relief coming in the future. Yeah, I agree 100%. I, I think that, uh, again, cannabis control from uh, commission, I feel like I criticize them an awful lot. That's all I do, you know, and I don't even hate them. I don't want to go after them, but it's like, what are they doing? You know, that doesn't seem like it's a concern. Um, I feel horrible because I hook a lot of people up and lately I haven't, I'm afraid for my own health and I can't like you, like right now I'm, I'm watching a dog for a couple that just had a baby. So, you know, I'm going in, the, in their house with a mask on with gloves. I'm worried if I catch any sickness that I bring it into that house and, you know, with a new baby that's coming in the next day or two, you know, she hasn't even given birth yet, but she's about to, they went to the hospital, you know, early this morning. So, oh, you know wow. what I mean? Like, so a lot of my business, I'm, I'm worried about getting sick cause I don't want to branch anyone else. So I've been not seeing my people, not helping them out. And, and for me, even it's harder, it's harder to justify the cost because my business just got, you know, wiped out. So now I'm down, you know, 50% of my business, maybe even more, maybe 50 to 75%. Um, so that hurts. And then, you know, right now I don't have a card. So, you know, I'm not gonna be traveling to Maine. I'm not going to any mass dispensaries. They're closed except for the medical. And even that's too much and not, you know, the best stuff, the best deal. So, you know, I'm going where a lot of other people are, the, you know, ca traditional caregivers, people growing six plants themselves or, you know, delivery services. And I'm finding it's harder to get it. And the price is going up. You know, because all of those people that just got shut off the wreck market, guess where they are? They're going to see the same people I am. And so right. the supply and demand is drying up. You know, the deliveries aren't coming from California. So this is and, going to become, and, the longer it goes, the harder it is going to be for everybody. And the average person, never mind someone like my friend Jimmy, who's homeless, you know, or someone that's on a limited right. income because they, you know, I, I think both of you are. Are you both on 
state income from being disabled, right? Yeah. How much do you make, Joanne? How much does Grant make? I mean, I want people to know how much do you take home a week or a month? I get three hundred dollars a month to live off of a temporary disability. So how are you supposed that's, to afford medicine on three hundred? Unfortunately, what I get, and so um, I do have to go on donations from the community to be able to survive. And I've been seeing, because I'm a patient advocate here in Massachusetts, I've been seeing a lot more patients coming to me saying, hey, I really need help. So I've been going out and doing the best I can to get donations from different companies um, or different caregivers to be able to disperse amongst the community. But there's only so much that I can do by myself. Yeah. Um, and then on top of it, you end up not really taking care of yourself yeah. the way that you need to when you start really focusing on helping the community. Yep. You lose track of helping yourself. Oh, yeah. So it's it's been rough, you know. It's been rough on the home front. It's been rough on the front line of the cannabis community. And it seems like every day, left and right, I'm seeing a new person that normally is financially stable or normally doesn't have any problem with getting access to their medications, having trouble because of their business not making as much money or not making money at all. I'll give you an example. Um, I saw a post from a patient today that is a, a local business owner. They own a CBD-based company. And because of the malls closing, they, they haven't been able to make as much money because they lost money on their kiosks that they had in several different malls. So that particular person, not only is hurting business-wise and financial-wise, but now they're having trouble even getting a hold of their medication. And um, so for advocates in Massachusetts, we've been really working hard with a lot of different caregivers, different businesses, different organizations on trying to cure uh, donations and disperse those donations to patients in need, but unfortunately things are already starting to run dry and what we're at week three, week four of quarantine, right? Week three, something of that nature. Um, it, it is a struggle. Everybody's struggling. Yeah. It's really I think you're starting right to break up a little bit there. Is your, yeah. you have an trouble? Yeah. Yeah. The audio not is that good. Maybe you should try calling back on the zoom in a couple minutes. Is that okay, Joanna? Okay, okay. Let's see if we get a better, yeah. sometimes we get a better connection the second time. Okay. Thank you. Okay. That's uh, Joanna Varney, Lady, Lady J. Var uh, I'm screwing up. Joanna Varner. Yes. Lady J. That's correct. Now, her we're the young jerks. We're here every, uh, I would say every Sunday, but sometimes we're not, right? We're here whenever we want now. That's cool. We can do it. We're here tomorrow. You're going to be here Monday at 5 p.m. Grant's doing a special show with uh, Cannabis Control Commissioner Shaleen Title and Mass State Rep China Tyler. It's going to be pretty cool. If you have questions, maybe you want to leave them on our Facebook page, or maybe you want to call in on the Zoom, like Lady uh, J just did. 657-577-6264 is the uh, Zoom room number, right, Grant? Yeah, if you're going to call in, please make sure you're connected to your Wi-Fi in your house if you have it. If you try to call in while you're on your cell network, it might start okay, but the audio will drop. But the point that Joanna was making, just so we can touch on it, um, was very important. Um, she was saying that the, the knock-on impact that this 
uh, pandemic is having, not just on patients, but also on business owners and people who supply patients is affecting these mutual aid societies that would normally be able to provide low-income patients with free or discounted medicine. And so, you know, these people who are growing the plants for patients, every time they donate, they're doing that out of the goodness of their heart. And the less they have coming in, the harder it is for them to give uh, hardship patients. And for that reason, I think it's very important that the Cannabis Control Commission, and Mike, this is another positive, although again, it's not fully formed, that the Cannabis Control Commission did this week. They delayed, uh, they tabled the approval of a uh, RMD's uh, license renewal because they wanted to see them have more measurable impact plans for hardship, but it's completely unenforceable and it needs a lot of work. Wait, who is that? Was that that's not the uh, one that had ownership issues, right? No, I An believe acreage? that I, be, I believe there that was separate to the okay. acreage issue. There were two separate uh, issues. Okay. Uh, again, our Zoom number, if you want to call in 657-577-6264, get Zoom, zoom.us. So you can call into the show again. I have yeah. the phone number. Uh, you uh, you did also say that if folks Yeah, there is do... a phone number. You call in, You can, if you want to call in on the phone as well, yep. you call in on the phone, but you had to still hit the room number, which is 657-577-6264, but there's the phone number too. Go ahead. You got that, Grant? Yep. So if you'd like to call in in the U.S., you can call 1-646-558-8656. Again, if you want to join us by phone, 1-646-558-8656. Now, the thing is, when you call by phone, you do have to enter the meeting ID, which is 657-577-6264 and the password, which is 420. We'll take that password off next time. We just- Do we? I thought practicing. we took it off. We, we might have, but not for the phone, so. Uh, I don't know, I think we did. But maybe it, it shows up in the email, I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> We're the Young Jerks, my name is Mike Crawford, Grant Smith, we're doing a, a, a duo, a co-hosted show today. Sometimes we're solo, sometimes we're co-hosted, but we got a lot of cannabis stuff to talk about. Do you know what else you want to talk about? I have some ideas. Well, um, I mean, I, we, we somewhat touched on um, the patient with the issues. Yeah, we we're going to go to that, placing. which is cool. That's why I'm glad she called, uh, yep. Joanna, because we were, you know, that's always a subject. I'm definitely going to do more of those shows, too, about the patients. Um, you know, we got a couple guests that we're going to be getting in here, but it's a topic always on our Facebook groups and Facebook pages, right, Grant? There's always an important discussion to be had because realistically, patients, uh, especially through the retail brick and mortar medical market, are sometimes being charged up to 50 to 75% of their monthly uh, income for one ounce of cannabis flower. And it's forcing them to have to rely on the benevolence of the community. And do not get me wrong, the cannabis community in Massachusetts is one of the most benevolent, if not the most benevolent, communities I've ever come across. And there are people who, if you are a patient who is sick, will help you obtain low cost or free medication. Definitely. Definitely. However, I mean, it's, yeah. it's sad that, that so many, so much of the help has to come from the community and not these million dollar dispensaries. I mean, that's what gets me is, is when I get the emails from people, I'm either like, you can either get a license and go pay out the nose 
Well, you try to get help from somebody in the community, but good luck. It's hard to find them, but you can find them. It just, you know, it's like, how many people can you help? Go ahead. Sorry, Graham. No, not at all. It's so important. But I, I think one of the key issues from the regulatory standpoint is, so no large company is benevolent. They Some of them act benevolent, but even in their benevolence, their interest is still the bottom line. And so uh, the way I think about it is, Mike, you remember when the uh, recreational law was first coming about, uh, people were worried the medical shops might all shut down. So there was a provision added to the regulations in the law that says that 35% of a, a store, a recreational store's um, product, if they are a medical dispensary as well, must be set aside for medical. Now that 35% of their stock being set aside for medical patients is not a goal. It is not a metric. It is a hard quota. I would like to see for these hardship programs, the CCC develop a similar hard quota where 10% or 15% of the, the medical stock at every RMD must be set aside for hardship patients. Wait, why just medical though? Why not also recreational? Why not just, uh, this is what kills me, make it the same for everybody. And this, this one set of rules for one group of people and another, make it for everybody across the board, 10%. Yeah, and so that actually is something that needs to change because right now um, medical uh, dispensaries can offer discounts and free products, but not um, um, adult use. Which is crazy. They should be allowed. They should be able to give away free product recreational. Yeah, and um, they in particular should be able to have a mandate to set aside a percentage of their stock for, for hardship. Free. But not yeah, not I, like you know buy a hundred dollars get a, a free rolly. I mean that's just. At least a sliding scale. So if yeah. your income is, say, you exactly. know, like 7000 a year, maybe you get 100%. If it's 15000 we, we talk about all these host community agreements and all these positive impact plans, but none of them are ever to help out poor patients who are paying $400, $500 an ounce. I mean, that. this is why I get so angry. It's like this is so common sense, but they just don't, they don't hear us. I, maybe it's just that... I, People aren't loud enough. Maybe it's just they're sick of listening to me, so they just tune it out. I, I just don't get it anymore. It's like, to me, this stuff is simple to fix. If you actually give a shit about poor people, you know, especially people who need this for medicine, it's so expensive. You can't, it's not covered under health insurance. It's not covered under the state Medicare plan. It's not covered by your work insurance. It's not covered by the health connector plans. So this money's all coming out of our pocket. There's no prescription plan for it. And that includes the doctor's visits to get the medical card. Yep. And, and that's then another if you go record, you're paying a tax. So no matter what we do, poor people are being regressively screwed. That's what it is. This is like, and it's not like, you know, we're going to play scratch tickets. This is medicine for us. This is like the most important thing. Decides whether we get to sleep that night or get to work the next day or to get to enjoy time with our family sometimes it makes a difference whether someone has a seizure that day or maybe it makes a difference whether they eat and survive from chemotherapy like i don't get it i don't get why there isn't more listening and outreach to the the community that we hear from that we just heard from from joanna the one that i talk about all the time because i come from that I come from exactly what Grant's talking about. When I had no money, my friend Michael Malter and others would hook me up. They would make sure that I didn't go without. They would make sure that I could work the next day. You know, 
Um, you know, when we talk about the cannabis issue and the cost issue, I think we should definitely bring up what uh, we we're talking, what what I brought up on my Facebook page today, and that uh, got a lot of comments and got me another block. Someone blocked me in the industry because I asked questions. <laughs> Is that what happened? I think so. I, I mean, maybe I call him a couple names, but. I think most of the names, I think the name started with him actually, as usual. You know, I ask questions, they call me names. <laughs> I ask some well, more questions, they call me some more names. They never answer the questions though. Um, it, it ties right into the previous discussion though. It does, it ties right into it. it. It's a mindset, right? Which is that so many people, unfortunately, in the medical cannabis industry view it as a way to make money. And as a point to that, before we jump to this uh, issue that happened today, which is just as important, um, did you know, Mike, you obviously know that when the medical program started in Massachusetts, all those RMDs were nonprofits. Do you know how many are left as nonprofits today that I've been able to find? None. How many? Two. Two. Which ones? Uh, a A C. ATG? No, no, not ATG. It's another acronym that starts with A. It's, I, I'll get you ACS the name. ACS or something like ACS. that. ACS. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so there, that's one. And there's one more I forget the name of right now. And that's the reality, right? Which is when, when the state allowed these RMDs to turn into for-profit companies, the people who really got left behind were the vulnerable patients. And that's why uh, I know we got to move on to this other topic, but there's actually a solution here that I think could, could really work, which is right now all medical licenses uh, have to be under the same roof. So if you run a medical dispensary, you have to cultivate, manufacture, uh, and sell your product under the same license. They're gonna break those licenses up. And I would love nothing more than to see a license type, for example, like a medical uh, delivery license or like a wholesaler's license, where if you're a nonprofit, everything is waived. So if you commit to stay a medical nonprofit, you can get that license easier than other people. See, this I know is where I, I, I lose. I just, I look at the, the medical field right now. Go over to Partners Hot Partners, Mass General today. And I'm not bagging on the nurses or doctors or the frontline workers. God bless them all. I love, I love you. I have friends that are working in the ER, ICU units. They're heroes. But I'm just talking about who runs partners mass general hospital is it a for-profit or a non-profit company oh, I, I don't know dude. it's a non-profit oh all those companies are non-profit so you go over there for a mri and ask them before you get the mri how, how much is this going to cost i don't have health insurance how much is this going to cost they're not even going to give you a price till after so i have no faith in non-profits caring more than for-profit companies. I just, I don't see that change in anything, Grant. I don't. Our whole medical system is based on the nonprofit, for-profit model. You know, where nonprofits maximize their profits off of patients. That, that's, I don't see that that's gonna be different than having for-profit companies. You know what I'm saying? Well, maybe then, I guess it leads me to ask you this. What, what kind of structure can force exist. them to give force well, that, them. That, say, that, say so, you had yeah. like you said earlier you have to give 10 percent. you have to give you have to give and you have to find the poor people and give it directly to them don't give it to another organization this is what pisses me off i agree with some other people who are complaining about some of the plans 
even with our friends where they're giving major money to even some of our other friends and their nonprofits. It's like, no, give it to someone like Joanna, give it to Chandra, make sure that Chandra's hooked up. You know, like that, that's what they should be doing. It's just saying, you know what, we're going to, these people are making four, like how much money are you making grand a month? Oh, well, from social security, I get about 700, $700 a month you're making. And with all that you've done for this, this community, they can't give you free cannabis or at least something a month. Like that's shameful. Disgusting. Well, and, and I should say credit where it's due. There are people in this community who, um, you know, I try to pay for But the community, so again, right. individuals have to do it because the, the industry can't get it together to actually do something like who has the money? Who has the means? Who's growing thousands of plants legally? You know, and instead it's the guy that's growing six plants legally that has to give to us. The, the guys with 10,000, they, they want to charge us $500 an ounce, you know? So I think it has to be mandated, but I, I, we want, I want to get to this. We've been, please, kind please. Of, it, uh, it, it ties so in because the question then becomes where are other barriers to entry? And I think patients? we should do the same thing. Cause this got brought up the same kind of same thing that you said about the 10%. Um, it wasn't a number, but you know, the same idea, because basically what happened is we have a, a medical cannabis program that's open right now, as people know in Massachusetts, but the recreational cannabis is closed because of COVID-19. The governor has called medical cannabis essential and said recreational is not. Uh, you have medical doctors in Massachusetts who are making a pretty good living um, being exclusively cannabis doctors. These are doctor's offices that you can't go in to get an x-ray. You can't go in there when you have the flu. You can't go in there when you have COVID-19. The only thing you can go in there for is to get your recommendation for medical cannabis. You can't get a prescription for you know any other pain. You can't get a Vicodin in there. The only thing they do is to give you a recommendation for medical cannabis. There's cannabis specialists. And because of that in Massachusetts, it costs a lot. And again, they don't take any life insurance, um, sorry, health insurance. They don't take your Medicare. They don't take Medicaid. They don't take social security. They don't take your health connector card. They don't take your health insurance from work, you have to pay cash. You have to either write a check or give them your credit card. So it costs money right out of your pocket to get this medical card. And it stops a lot of poor people when you're making five, four, six hundred $600 a month to fork over between a hundred, $350 a year to see the doctor is a good chunk of change. It's, you know, even for me, it's, I, I, I'm balking right now. My card is just expired. And I haven't renewed because of the extra cost. It costs me every year. It's like, do I really want to pay this again? But people do. And there's one doctor that a lot of us have been looking at over the last couple of years. We know him. We've been around him. Very familiar with him. I've even quoted him in some of my stories. Um, his name's Dr. Jordan Tischler, MD. And Dr. Tischler is one of the more expensive doctors. He charges what we see on his website is $350 a year. He says it's for full year of consultations and he provides all this education, information. And to me, it's a joke because, you know, what do I need a doctor to tell me how to use cannabis that I've been using longer than they've even known it's been medicine? You know what I mean? So it's like, okay, buddy, uh, how's that going to help me? You know, so he's charging that, you know, that big fee. Uh, 2016, he said he had more than 400 customers or what he calls patients, 
I think we're all patients, not just when he, he decides they're a patient. Uh, so he, he charges $350 times 400. It's obviously over $100,000 a year. It's about 140 grand a year. He's grossing. I'm guessing he has more patients since then. Uh, I think he's probably cleaning up right now since recreational shops have closed since all these new people need to get you know, their licenses to get their medicine. Uh, and he's posting on his Facebook page that medical shops are essential, but he doesn't feel liquor stores or recreational stores are, and they should be shut down. He's, he's happy that they're shut down right now, which I think is, it's, it's like, yeah, okay. You're not going to mention your own self-interest though, when you post that number one, number two, he is the person who testified against Stephen Mandilli's bill at the state house, which would allow veterans to bypass doctor's offices like that. It would let veterans bypass the toll of paying him $350 a year and allow them to file from their medical records from the VA and basically bypass and just send their VA records to the CCC and show, look, I have a medical issue. Here it is. Here's my files. And the CCC would automatically approve them for a medical card. He called that insanity. You what? He, uh, one of the doctors you're speaking about called Stephen Mandilli's proposal insanity. Yeah, he called it insanity. And then doesn't mention that he has a conflict of interest. But the reason he doesn't want Stephen's bill to pass is because it's going to cost him some money. So again, this guy's all about the money. And uh, he's posting this crap on Facebook. And I just called him out and I said, you know, the doc has a financial interest. And he started with a bunch of garbage back at me, accusing me of, I don't even know, junk, you know, but he wouldn't answer the question. I said, my, where's my math wrong? Like, you know, and then he started saying that he wasn't making any, he hadn't paid himself for months, that he had huge costs because he is a secretary and pays for rent. You know, so the discussion is with these medical doctors, they should be like, because we know Canacare docs and some of the other doctor's offices, they, you know, I'm pretty sure uh, you'll find Green Nurse Group, who we're friends with. A lot of these companies, a lot of these groups, a lot of these medical services that do get patients their cards, a lot of times they do give discounts or even mm -hmm. free mm -hmm. medical recommendations. But I've never heard Dr. Tischler doing that. And again, I just, I called him out because... How can you be so self-interested that cannabis is only right when you give the recommendation? It's like he's glad alcohol. I mean, you're a medical doctor, for Christ's sakes. If you shut down the liquor stores right now, you know how many issue, medical issues that would cause with people who are addicted to alcohol? And I guarantee you, if he, was given, if he was given the power to write a license for $350 a year to license those alcoholics to get their alcohol, at the liquor store, he'd be want those liquor stores open. You guarantee you that. Well, that's what concerns me so much. And it's not just about um, that specific doctor or even this particular issue. I always get weary when laws are written in such a way that incentivizes a specific structure to exist just so people can profit. You know, I, I think that the logic ends up being perverted when you do that, right? Because you have a system like you have now, right? where when you want to do something like Stephen Mandilli with this excellent bill H4274 in Massachusetts to let veterans get their medical cards directly through their VA paperwork without having to go through a doctor like that and pay $350. 
when you have people opposing that just because it's going to undermine their ability to profit, you have a system that is fundamentally broken to begin with. And so that's really what worries me, that in Massachusetts, and really it's everywhere in the United States, we build our laws to regulate these industries in a way that incentivizes special interests to use the lawmaking process to make money rather than help people. And that's a fundamentally American problem. I agree. We got some, we got some good comments here too. Um, should we read some of them? I don't know if you, will you, will you hear my dog? He was being so obnoxious just now. I, I heard him uh, crying out for your love and attention. <laughs> he just finally gave up. He was, you get for like the whole time we've been on. <laughs> and then I just looked over and he was like, finally just walking away his tail down. He's like, oh, I give up. He's not, he's not moving. <laughs> he tried really hard. Oh, you got to give God. him credit. He's an old, he's an old dog. You can't treat, teach him any new tricks. He's, he's the boss around here at this point. But uh, <laughs> he should realize we had we had important cannabis conversations to be had. Yeah, uh, we got a lot of comments here. Chauncey Spencer writes, uh, "Very easy to fix. Getting license costs so much because of the local officials' douchebaggery. Only the corporate guys can uh, get into it, and they charge everybody so much." He's talking about the licensing for cannabis applicants, not the uh, patients themselves, but uh, he also wrote nonprofit boards and vendor buddies make all the money. Some we're kind of referencing there. A um, couple other people commenting. I am cannabis sativa podcast. Good podcast. You should definitely listen to that. Uh, it's on iTunes and anchor and everywhere else you listen to your podcast. Uh, the host of that show writes New Hampshire, if I recall correctly, is nonprofit. Their dispensaries charge $400 an ounce. Arizona has a competitive corporate system, uh, cannabis model. No craft cannabis, but lots of dispensaries competing against each other. Sub $200 ounces, cheaper to get a card there too. I think that is one of the most important things is uh, we need a lot more competition. I think once we have more competition, that will help. But I also think we should have some kind of mandate that if you're on Medicare, you should get – you should, the dispensary should be forking over something. I'm talking about people who have been harmed by the cannabis prohibition. Jeez, people who have to fork over four or five hundred dollars an ounce when they're only making four or five hundred dollars a month. I think they've been harmed, and I think that we should just kick into them. And I think that it should be part of the system where you know every single patient gets something uh, from the dispensaries that they go to every month. Harborside used to do that. Well, let's compare that, right, to what these some of the Massachusetts dispensaries tried to do last year, which I think speaks to their mentality, which is they legitimately worked with a prohibitionist lawmaker named Hannah Kane to file a bill under uh, the bill number H4168 that would have brought the head of the state police and the tax agencies in Massachusetts together to make it even harder for patients to find low cost services. And the reason for that is these companies view competition as a threat to their profit. They view a fair market as a threat to their profit. They view patient access at an affordable price as a threat to their profit. And the only way that we're gonna get that mentality to shift is if we start getting industry leaders into the cannabis arena, licensed, who don't have that mentality. 
Because what is business? What is the business arena or the industry, if not a amalgamation of the perspectives of the owners of those companies? So if those corporate guys right now have control the Commonwealth Dispensary Association, control the, the general posturing of RMDs and, and cannabis operations, that's bad. But if we can get people like Andrew Muddy in there, Ed D'Souza in there, who have a different outlook, I think there's hope for the future. I hope so. You know, and I just, one of the issues I worry about, like Ed, is a micro grow. I think Andrew, does he have retail or is he also just a grow? He has retail as well, though, right? Well, it's great you bring this up because for right now, uh, Beantown, Greentown, uh, which was just approved this week, actually, so huge shout out to them. They just got their provisional license. Um, they are a micro um, cultivator and processor. However, so they can have up to 5,000 square feet of cultivation space and they can process and manufacture products. But what's amazing is that micro businesses are the only license in the entire state other than uh, dispensaries who can actually apply to sell directly to the public when, through something. Again, because uh, we hear these things, but yeah. do they have a date on that? If you're a social equity applicant and you have a micro business, you can apply right now for that. Awesome. Because that's the key to me. Like, you know, the supply there, obviously two things are hugely affecting the cost of cannabis. Number one is supply. Obviously that's one, but even beyond supply, it's the storefronts. Like if there's only a limited amount of storefronts and they're the only ones selling it and buying it, they can, they can control the price. So that that's big that they can grow it and deliver it right to the customer, skipping the middleman. That that will make a difference. But again, for me, it's like, when when is that going to happen? You know, because we're in the middle of a COVID-19. We have no idea when anything's going to open again. We don't know if it's going to be 2021. We have no idea what Governor Baker is going to do. Uh, his reopening may reopen everybody but cannabis. You know, because I, I, I think this guy hates cannabis. I think that's the reason he did this. You know, so... Who knows what's going to happen? It's, it's well, I, I think I think it's quite clear um, that Governor Baker, uh, to put it lightly, is um, apprehensive about adult use cannabis, and he was part of the campaign for a safe and healthy Massachusetts, along with Jason Lewis and Stan Rosenberg and Marty Walsh, and for a long time these guys have been hesitant. Not and Stan folks, Rosenberg. Stan was with us. He's been with well, us forever. So. Uh, he was, but then I found out he appointed Jason Lewis as the head. He did, the, but he wasn't part of the campaign against it. Oh, okay. So my apologies. He That's appointed, all right. We want to make sure we get it right. Someone will correct us later. Absolutely Dan's right. been with us forever, but he, he kind of did get wishy-washy, though. I know what you're talking about. He kind of... And I didn't mean to he associate didn't like him the, with it. The ballot initiative. He wanted to write it himself, whatever, but he ended up with us. He, yeah. he was always with us, really. But yeah, go ahead. Sorry to yeah, interrupt. The only, no, the only reason I link him to that is that uh, when the, before question four passed, the Senate did an investigatory study. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. And Stan Ro President yep. Stan Rosenberg appointed the chair who was from the campaign yep. for safe and health. Okay. Um, so fair enough there. But my point uh, with the insight there was that uh, for folks who know about the Cannabis Control Commission, you'll know right now that the way people are appointed is through the governor, the attorney general, and the treasurer. Well, the people in those positions right now, Governor Baker, Attorney General Maura Healy, and Treasurer Deb Goldberg, are not big fans of cannabis. And I think the legislature wrote that in that way on purpose. 
so that we'd all have to wait five to 10 years to get people into those positions who are pro-cannabis to see the market we want. That's my theory. We'll see what happens. Because I, I, I have a feeling Governor Baker's not going anywhere. So we'll see what happens. You know, if he wants another term, he's probably going to get another term. And I, I don't see him going uh, for president. He probably wants to, but I don't think he has a shot. Um, maybe senator, but I don't know. We'll see what happens. He's certainly a good politician. I don't agree with him on a lot of issues. Me neither. But he's a good politician. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what he's good at. I just, uh, I, I don't get why people still like, I do, but I, you know what I'm saying? I just, I don't get why people are so superficial and dumb. Well, I can't look beyond the headlines. People look, 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 look deeper and see what he's actually about. People I, I like, think oh, that, he was against weed. Yeah, geez, you know that. I don't know. We we should let people know. We we want your calls today on cannabis. We have an open phone line. You can call in. Our room number is six five seven five seven seven six two six four. It's all listed. Uh, on our live feed right now, so you have no excuse to miss it. Uh, the Zoom ID again is 657-577-6264. You can also call in directly. Uh, the number well, we had it up. Six four six. Yeah, five five eight eight six five six. Can I read that? Yes, I can. Yeah, so we're I, the I, young jerks. Go ahead, Greg. We, we almost tag teamed the phone number back and forth, but I. I figured you could read it at that point. <laughs> I don't know if I can handle that today. It's like the old days when I had a co-host. This is different. It's been a great conversation, though. I feel like, you know, we read some comments. We got that call from Lady J. And the most important thing is all of the big three issues that happened this week, we covered. So I we feel did. like we touched a lot of important issues. So Good. So I think we did our work. And uh, tomorrow night, Monday night, if people want to leave, Yes. messages they want to know something from the cannabis control commissioner or mass state rep china tyler grant will be uh taking your calls and taking questions so leave leave a comment leave a question if you want something answered by the cannabis control commissioner that will be uh tomorrow or monday yep i'm personally very excited for this interview um i was talking a little bit about it earlier and then uh, we had joanna call in um Commissioner Title's a personal hero of mine. Um, she's someone who, through the thick and thin of regulating cannabis in this Commonwealth, has been on the ground fighting for uh, the right reasons to create a market that you know works in the interest of everyone. She has worked in an arena that uh, is, to say, stacked against her is an understatement. And so to have the opportunity to, to bring her on for a conversation with an ally uh, who's also been working on similar goals in the state house in Rep. China Tyler, it's gonna be a great conversation. Uh, a lot of it's gonna be around uh, an issue we didn't touch as much today, uh, which is falling by the wayside, unfortunately, on the state level as well, which is the equity program. Uh, the, uh, we did touch on it today a little bit, but the economic empowerment program, the status of the equity program, and uh, what can be done in the context of this pandemic to keep those applicants from collapsing. Because we know if those applicants collapse, they might not come back. That's what I'm talking about. When? Um, let's talk about that, too, because uh, I interviewed uh, Boston City Councilor Julia Mejia yesterday and asked her, specifically about what Boston's doing because they you know they they basically have only approved one 
recreational shop. It was an economic empowerment applicant. We were all supportive, but they basically opened right at the beginning of the COVID-19, like their first day of operation, people were standing in line afraid. And then it just got worse every day that they were open. And now they had to close down. Um, and there's a bunch of applicants that we've been championing, like Cha Chauncey Spencer and many others, but especially at Boston with Chauncey is, he's been waiting over two years now and he has no idea when he's going to have a hearing. Other people got hearings before him. Uh, it seems like all the hearings have come to a standstill. Am I wrong on that? Have they, have they, they, yeah, they haven't held, held a hearing since this COVID-19 started, right? Yeah, and, and I'm, I'm glad you brought it up because the situation in Boston, it's just, it's so heart-wrenching because uh, for folks who might not be aware, um, Boston, uh, like uh, Mike was saying, the first applicant in Boston over 700 days ago was Chauncey Spencer, who's been on the program um, uh, multiple times, who's called in, fan of the show. Uh, he applied first in Boston, and about a year and a half after he applied, Boston changed their local priority rules for how they consider folks who are applying for licenses. And the way that they changed the rules basically uh, took away Chauncey's priority and gave it to a wider group of people. Now there were debates in good faith about whether this was the right approach, but the point is the end result is that um, although there's an economic empowerment applicant open in Boston, Pure Oasis, uh, Kobe Evans, who also has been on the show uh, and is doing great work himself. Although he was able to open, Chauncey uh, and other applicants like him who actually had applications in the queue prior to people who are open now are still waiting. And for folks who don't know, the cost can be $10,000 a month or more for some people, a little less for some, a little more for others. And these people who are waiting are not these big corporations. They are people who mortgage their homes, who put their life savings into, a, into the promise of an equitable market structure that they would be able to participate in through ownership. And if we fail those people now, we'll never be able to rebuild the trust that was built when this program, uh, the equity program, the economic empowerment program were first started. People put their whole lives into those programs and they cannot fail. They simply cannot fail. And, and they haven't been holding meetings though. I haven't heard any hearings during this COVID-19, right? That's correct. The social equity program actually is accepting applications right now through May 1st, but there has been no hearings in Boston and there has been, as far as I know, no state level social equity sessions right now either because of the pandemic. Now, uh, Julia Mejia seemed like she, uh, you know, was going to look into it and she thought she seemed to think that the hearings and meetings would continue to happen. She's friends with uh, the City Council President Kim Janey, she's working with Kim Janey on this. So hopefully something happens. I asked a question. I mean, I don't know. Do you think I asked a question right or do you think I was hard enough? Did you hear it, Grant? Yeah, no, I, I watched the interview. I thought that the most important thing was bringing up the topic because you know, obviously politics is always going to be political, which is to say, even if you ask a perfect direct question, when someone has to navigate a complex political environment, they're going to answer in a way that, you know, is, is acceptable. They're not going to answer like me straight to the point. You have a certain degree. Of I'm not a politician. Leeway. I don't give a shit who gets mad anymore. <laughs> when I was president of MassCan, I, I probably, you know, yeah, definitely yeah, things would come to a filter. And uh, that's not to knock that, you know, I, I think being successful in politics 
entails a certain degree of understanding how to work within those systems. However, by the same token, I think people like watching you because you're able to work outside of those systems. And yeah, we work in and out. Important. You know, that's the beauty of us. We, we're not plain politician here, not at all, but we get to question them. They come on our show, we, we talk to them, they respect us, the politicians. So, you know, I, I, I like this not having to be a politician. People always tell me I should run for office or, you know, probably could get some votes locally, you know, but I don't want to be a politician. I, I have to be nice to people. I'd rather throw bombs at uh, Dr. Jordan Tischler instead. You well, know, re- Jordan Tischler, bombs. after I uh, questioned him, we were talking about him today. What did he do? He called me names, right? Do you saw that, right? Yeah. And then what did he do? Did he answer the questions? His answers were uh, not quite directly on the subject that you were asking him about. And then he blocked me. That's why I can't be a politician. You know, I mean, this is what we do. We ask tough questions. And sometimes that makes people mad, but I don't care. I mean, you know. Well, it's I've always said that... um, Uh, Well, not I've always said, I've always liked the quote that said something along the lines of printing what someone else doesn't want written as journalism, everything else is public relations. (laughs) And we do both sometimes. Let's be serious. (laughs) I mean, sometimes we, yeah, he's getting crazy now. I don't know if you hear him. I I want to, I don't want to keep him from his, give my little doggy a little, you know, quiet down, Gruffy. Gruffy, you quiet down. He's out of control. He's hungry. This is what I have to deal with every day. Like for a while, like he used to get fed at 4 p.m., but then we had him on antibiotics, so I brought it up to 6 p.m. to balance out the pills. He doesn't like it. From 4 to like 5, 5:30, 6, he starts. And now he's now it's 6:22. He's not happy today. <laughs> you weren't kidding. Uh, you weren't oh, kidding about he is him. Spoiled. Uh, he's probably. We don't even know how old he is. He's probably 14, 15. He is. Oh. He is you weren't so kidding spoiled. about him knowing that he's in charge. Oh, he is. I mean, he usually gets away with it. Usually, as soon as he starts whining, I'm like, all right, let's go. But tonight, I'm making him wait. Well, I don't want to keep no, him. No, don't even food. think about it. I'm looking at him. He's looking at him. <laughs> I should just bring him on the camera. You can see what's going on. Uh, hey, with I'm young sure jerk. the viewers would love it. Yeah, I'm sure. We'll, uh, we're going to leave it on something. I can't even remember. We are talking about Tischler, and I don't even know what we are talking about. Uh, we were talking about uh, tomorrow and how excited I am at yeah. 5 p.m. to host uh, with uh, Commissioner Shaleen Title and State Rep China Tyler at 5 p.m. Uh, I would love to have some questions ahead of time from the viewers. So if you have any questions you'd like for the commissioner or for Representative Tyler about the reopening of recreational or adult use cannabis in the Commonwealth, about the social equity, economic empowerment uh, programs, or anything else related to cannabis, please, uh, you can call in during the show, leave a comment, or reach out to me ahead of time, and I'll make sure to ask your question. And we're the Young Jerks. If you want to call in right now, you can do so. We have a uh, Zoom call in line if you have this it's easy zoom.us if you just want to jump in on our show the zoom id conference room id is 657-577-6264 or if you want to call by phone it's 646-558-8656 we're taking calls right now we got one we only got one today joanna verner lady j usually we get a lot more calls but since we've changed the zoom 
spend let's spend less definitely we're gonna have to work on something out but uh we would love your call if you got something good to say i also want to mention uh happy birthday to my friend tito jackson uh really uh glad that uh tito has survived the covid19 he's a friend of ours uh he's been a big supporter of the show somebody that uh, has helped us get a lot of guests politically um and we're using some of his commentary uh, from past shows on a new video that we're doing as well. And something else, you know what? I might ask you, Grant, for, mm-hmm. for some, a favor. Since uh, you're asking for questions to ask Shaleen, uh, I think one of the things that we should start doing uh, is to let them know that we're making a highlight reel on the Young Jerks. And uh, we're looking you know, for some of the best guests that we've had over the years to say something something about the young jerks. What do you think about this show, Shaleen title? Or, you know, I wouldn't say it to China Tyler because it's her first time being on the show. I don't think she's as familiar with us, but Shaleen is, she might have something to say. Um, so I think that we're, we're going to start asking our guests to say something nice about us because we're set up, setting up a little highlight reel video and uh, Tito, you know, we didn't even have to ask him every time he came on the show, he said something great and he said some really good stuff at the, uh, uh, what was it? The fifth year anniversary party we did last April. And so we're hoping to have something out by the end of the month to celebrate our sixth anniversary, since we're not going to have a, uh, live, uh, you know, in-person event, probably do something online, but so we're working on that. Maybe you can ask Shaleen to say something nice about the young jerks for our highlight reel. Of course, I, I know that Commissioner Title has been on the program uh, with you before, and uh, I know that uh, she very much enjoys the Young Jerks. I've seen her comment once or twice uh, throughout the uh, past few months, so of course, I'll be happy to ask her. And we also have, uh looks like State Senator Diana DiZoglio, excuse me, coming on uh, on April 20th, I believe, Monday, April 20th. That should be fun. That will be a first-time guest. Uh, she's great. I, I like her a lot. I like a lot of the things she's pushing. Uh, she's younger. She's a state senator. Uh, she's a woman. And she's, you know, what I really like about her from, you know, never even having met her is uh, some of the conversations on, you know, Facebook. But really what I, what really caught my eye is that she stood up to uh, the state leadership, uh, the Speaker of the House, Bob DeLeo, and a bunch of crap that they've had going on with the non-disclosure agreements and again that comes up with the cannabis when we were talking about the employees as well so she's on to some really good stuff and uh i'm I'm excited to talk to her well i think you're absolutely right uh that she's been working on some good stuff i think i heard her name come up in the context of a unemployment bill for cannabis workers is that true yeah yeah, so I think uh, I, I need to find out more information on that because I don't really know how unemployment works for Canada. I've been hearing differing things, and it's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, some people and say that you're covered, and some people say you're not. I think it might be the extra money. I'm not sure, so I don't want to. Yeah, well, it's definitely interesting because I know uh, for folks uh, who are interested in uh, their status uh, in the cannabis industry as employees uh, or otherwise uh, right now, uh, obviously, the Federal CARES Act does not allow cannabis businesses to receive aid, uh, so cannabis employees obviously can't receive aid through that. However, uh, there is a state-level implementation of the CARES Act that might involve some state-level funds, 
And um, at the end of the month, there's gonna be a portal that the Massachusetts government is rolling out. So if you follow your state senator on Facebook, I know state senator Jason Lewis has been posting about it among others. They oftentimes will post updates. And when that portal is online, uh, cannabis employees or otherwise, you'll be able to apply and see if you qualify for the special unemployment benefits. So that's the extra money that they're talking yeah. about, right? Okay. Yeah. And I think that's what the bill she has that she's push pushing that uh, could help us in the cannabis space as well. But I really, you know, the big one, I think the bill that would help us even more, I mean, obviously helping out people have been laid off is really important right now, especially as so many people in the cannabis space have been laid off. And a lot of them are what we call bud, tender, bud tenders or, you know, entry level cultivators. They're not people making crazy money. They're, you know, paycheck to paycheck and they need that income. So definitely that's important, but I, you know, for a lot of the work that I'm covering right now, what I drives me crazy is these NDAs. You, you know what? It, I, I keep saying NDA. It's a non-disclosure agreement. And the way that these work is that abusive companies like Fox, remember Fox, uh, Fox had a lot of non-disclosure agreements. Bill O'Reilly, Bill O'Reilly did some really objectionable things to his female employees. Um, and basically what would happen is Fox News would write them a big check and make them sign a non-disclosure agreement. So basically what would happen is the Bill O'Reilly could be a pig and, and do disgusting things to uh, low-level employees, and then Fox News would pay them to silence them. And it's the same thing that Harvey Weinstein did. It's the reason why Harvey Weinstein got away with it for decades. You know, in addition to the threats and the, uh, you know, you'll never work in this industry again, if, if that didn't work on you, eventually Harvey's lawyers would pay you a nice check, but you'd have to sign off that you would never talk about it. Donald Trump has done the same. We've seen these Stormy Daniels. <laughs> so, I mean, this is, a, this is a pattern. Powerful men, number one, get away with it with sexual assaults. They often use these non-disclosure agreements. And you also see it in a lot of these shady industries and shady employers like cannabis companies that don't want to be exposed for mold and aphids and all kinds of other abusive practices to their employees. They'll fire them during a union drive, offer them severance, knowing that they're month to month, you know, employees that, that, that are paycheck to paycheck and say, you know, if you want this five to 10 grand check, you have to sign this form that you won't discuss it with Mike Crawford or anyone in the press or anywhere on your social media. And what we find is most of those NDAs are really not worth the paper they're written on. You know, really NDAs are supposed to be designed to act, you know, when you read into what a non-disclosure agreement is supposed to be, it's supposed to be just to protect trade secrets. So if Coca-Cola has the secret formula, right? And you used to, you know, work at Coca-Cola and you knew the secret formula that you don't leave and sell the secret formula to Pepsi. They're not protecting the secret formula or trade secrets when it, when it includes covering up abuse, sexual assaults, which, you know, happened in the case of, you know, Harvey Weinstein. And in that case, they're covering up other abusive behaviors. I'm going to name them all. But I think it's abusive to make people work around mold without protective equipment. You know, I think there's a lot. And when, when you're uh, doing things like offering people 401ks and you're offering them benefits that you then take away, 
and that you don't come through on, like stock options. There's a lot of dirt here, and Netta wants it all covered up. And this happens at the state house. And the reason why Diana DiZoglio is so involved in this is because it seems to happen. It happened to her. You know, I don't know all the details, but if you read those stories and read between the lines, something happened at the state house to her. She was an aide before she was a state senator. There was a scandal, and I believe it includes Mark Cusick. Remember him? Rep so Mark state Cusack. rep Mark Cusick was involved in some kind of scandal with her when she was an aide up at the state house. And we don't know what happened. And the reason we don't know is because the victim isn't allowed to speak on it. They silence their victims up at the state house. When a state senator or state rep does something to one of the low level female aides, they make them sign a non-disclosure agreement, pay them off, and no one ever knows that their state rep is a pervert harassing women up at the state house. And this is the culture up there. And this is the culture in a lot of businesses. So these non-disclosure agreements, they gotta go. They gotta be made illegal. They gotta, you know, it has to be a clause where you can only use them to protect the trade secrets. You can't use it to protect bad behavior. You can't use them to protect abusive behavior. You can't use them to protect you from criminal investigations or regulatory investigations or any type of press. You know, this needs to end. And we saw that with Harvey Weinstein. It's, it's so obvious. I think most people get this at this point. Sorry, well, I'm going on a grant. No, no, you're not wrong. And it's, it's important that folks are passionate about this issue because for folks who know about um, the victims of sexual assault, uh, almost every system in the country from the criminal justice system to the system on college campuses to the civil law system to the employment system is rigged against them. And it's unfortunate that this is the reality. And uh, the, on Beacon Hill in particular, we know that these are the kind of folks that, you know, exempted themselves from the open meeting law, right? right. And so that sets they the They have tone. special powers up at Beacon Hill. <clears throat> and, and it comes into play. And it's why this uh, bill, uh, that, uh, this discussion that multiple folks have started, I believe, uh, Becca Rausch is her name, another senator or rep who's been working on this. Um, she, they're trying to write a bill so that um, the investigatory oversight of those complaints is not run by Senate or House leadership. Because that was another big issue. If you remember, the husband of uh, yep. someone in leadership yep. had an issue. This, and, the uh, Senate president. And, His and, husband had some issues, yeah. And it's like, you know, you can't investigate yourself. Right. And you can't and investigate your friends, you know, that, especially if your friends, you rely on them for their political votes. So there's a lot of give and take and a lot of games being played and a lot of cover ups going on. That's been going on at the state house for years. And it's also been going on in large corporations for years. It's got to come to an end. It's got to stop. And when you're using these non-disclosure agreements against low level employees, it's one thing if you're holding, you know, if you're a Tim Cook of Apple. And you're going to get a million dollar severance to go away and they don't want you to talk anymore. I'm fine with that. You can, Tim Cook can sign it away. But when you're a bud tender, when you're a legislative aide at the state house, what do you got to, to like, there's nothing the company should be afraid of about you speaking out after you're gone from that company. And if there is that, that's the company's problem. That's the state, you know, the state office, if they're, if they're embarrassed about what an aide's going to say, 
about them after they leave the office. There's no trade secret. It gives a new it gives a new meaning to the word trade secret, I suppose. Yeah, it's disgusting. And so disgusting that we allow them to get away with this both at the state house and with the large corporations, the large abusive corporations. And it's gotta end. And when we say that uh, retail workers are heroes, and then we allow them to be silenced with non-disclosure agreements, and we don't say we don't back them up. We don't back them up with hazard pay. We don't back them up with saying no to abusive contracts that silence them from calling out their bosses after they leave their jobs. We need to stand up for these retail workers, and cannabis workers are retail workers. They they save lives. They're risking their lives to serve patients right now. So. We need to help them. Well, it shows that this investigation, to bring it all the way back full circle, the most important thing that folks can do as a member of the community, the grassroots community, is keep an eye on what the regulators are doing. And if you see a company where employees are making desperate pleas, anonymously or otherwise, for help, make sure that you reach out to the regulators, because the regulators are human beings, too. And sometimes when they start seeing five, 10, 20 people reaching out to them about the same issue, all of a sudden, it's not just Commissioner Title giving out her cell phone, there's a full-fledged investigation and people start to be held accountable. So it's important. And there's a movement of that happening right now. Don't kid yourself. Like that's happening. And what your calls can make a difference is just to add to that chorus. So please do so. We do got to go. I got uh, some angry dogs back here. So. Well, that was a fun episode, Mike. I'm grateful you uh, had me on tonight. Well, I'm glad you had me on. (laughs) (laughs) We're co-hosting. I don't know. You know, it's like, it's funny because if people don't know, Grant started off as a caller on the show and then he's been a guest on the show. He's co-hosted at times, but now he's like a regular. So it's, it's pretty funny. I have to share this before we go uh, so the audience can see. I did win best caller a few years ago for the Young Jerks. So he's telling the truth. Yep. So I want to thank you for everything you're doing, Grant, and uh, I want to thank our audience for listening and supporting us. And look, we got a lot of caller, a lot of listeners right now. I'm checking out the numbers; pretty good. Of course, right as we come to the end, yeah. but it was a great show. So, yep. So again, uh, we'll have more shows this week, definitely. But tomorrow is the big show, Monday night, 5 p.m. Cannabis Control Commissioner Shaleen Title, and we also have, uh, yeah, we got a lot going on tomorrow. I'm looking forward to it, and I really appreciate everyone who listened tonight, left comments, and again, Mike, I I know we co-hosted, but it's always an honor, and it's always a great time, so thank you for uh, having me on for the ride. All right. We'll talk soon, Grant. See you later, everyone. Hi, it's Mike Crawford of The Young Jerks. I want to thank you for listening, subscribing to The Young Jerks podcast, and also recommend that if you would like to support us with a financial contribution that you do so through the Anchor app or through midnightmass.substack.com, become a paying subscriber. Or if you'd like to just send us a donation, you could do so through Venmo. It's Mike Crawford TYJ on Venmo. Thank you very much. And uh, also, if you could rate and review us on iTunes, it is much appreciated. Thank you.